Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for sharing and hanging out and talking with each other. Get your last donut and coffee before we start. If you don't know me, my name is Michael Bischoff. I've been here a few times in the past. I'm a kind of the third string preacher around here, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just always good to be back with you and to be able to hang out together. And Bog asked me to share about some stuff in the, about the Bible in, uh, I wanted to approach it a real practical way. Um, what I called it is like, what did I call this? The Bible, how it's changed my life for 40 years. So I think what Bug wanted is to get like an old guy who has been in the Bible like a long time uh, and done some things with it. So we're learning a lot from this Bible series, hopefully, um, and that it's a good thing for you. And I wanted to share out of literally 40 years of experience with the Bible and what that's done in my life. First of all, I really want to say it's cool that Thanksgiving, after Thanksgiving thing you're doing, that's awesome. You know, my favorite part of post-Thanksgiving is the gel that kind of coats on the turkey that rises, you know, the fat kind of comes out of everything. So enjoy that jello gel. That's just so good. There's a picture for you to keep in your mind as we talk about stuff this morning. But yeah, it's so good. You guys are a fun church. You've been really fun the other times I've been here with you. So hopefully we can have some fun this morning talking about um, the Bible again. So it's going to be just real, real practical. So hopefully you have your Bible with you. If you don't, make sure ushers pass out Bibles to people that need a Bible, if you could, because it's really important. We're talking about the Bible to have one. And then ushers also pass out to everybody that they've got a, a sheet of paper for Psalm, Psalm 1, which is going to be a passage of scripture we look at, and I wanted you to have that on a sheet of paper. So um, get as many of those out as you can to everybody, because if everybody could get one, that's great. If you, if you like to write in your Bible, then don't take one of those Psalm 1 sheets. Does that make sense? If you write in your Bible and you're good with that, then don't take a Psalm 1 sheet that's coming around. If you don't like to write in your Bible or you don't have a Bible, then take one of those Psalm 1 sheets. Make sense? And we'll see how, how that works. And let me just give a little plug for the Bible, if I could. Like, the Bible is really cool, but the Bible has changed even in my life from this book that you used to have to go buy in a bookstore to an app you just kind of call up on your phone now. And I'm like a techie guy, so I kind of like apps and stuff like that. That's kind of fun for me. I have even a smartwatch that I'm not wearing right now because it distracts me so much. But um, I think we lose something when it's just digital. So this morning, I'd like to ask you, unless you have nothing else and we run out of Bibles and run out of passages, to not use a digital version of the Bible. Not because it's not good, because I think we miss something when it's not something that you can hold. Does that make sense? Like... Like, we love children, but you wouldn't want a digital kid, right? For those of you that are parents, would you want a digital kid? No. Why? Because you can't. Some of you are going, yes, give me a digital kid. I can turn off like an app. I can shut him down. And the battery runs out. But it just doesn't make sense, does it? There's certain things in life that it's okay to have a digital version. There's other things that, no, nah, maybe not so much. So I just want to bring, hopefully, to you this morning a sense of a love for God's word, the Bible, the scriptures, as we know them, and why that should be so compelling for you. 
and why someone like me has been excited about that for 40 years and continues to be more excited about the Bible now than I've ever been in my whole life. And that's why I think you guys are doing a series like this, because it's a book that now is kind of viewed as ancient literature. And that's how you kind of study it if you go to the university and were to study scripture. And it's, it's a book kind of full of myths and fables and stories and such. And it's far, far more than that. So let's not relegate it to the trash heap of history. Let's be able to look at it with some fresh eyes, okay? So let's take a little journey. I kind of want to share personally with you some of the things I've learned this morning. G.K. Chesterton, some of you might have read some of his books, he was a famous British writer, was once invited to a meeting of leading intellectuals in England, and they were all asked, all these intellectuals, if they were shipwrecked on a desert island, what's the one book that they would want to have on a desert island? Okay, sounds like a reality series, doesn't it? You know, what's the one book you'd want to have on a desert island? Well, they went around and shared, and when they got to Chesterton, everybody knew he was a Christian, and so they sort of expected him to say the Bible. But when it got to Chesterton and he shared what was the one book that he would have if he were stranded on a desert island, he said, Thomas's Practical Guide to Shipbuilding. <laughs> Smart, right? Why? Because on a desert island, the Bible's not going to do you a lot of good. But if you can figure out a way to get back home, that's going to do you far more good, right? So the goal is not to have the most amazing book ever written, okay? Most of us have a Bible, or two, or three, or ten, depending on how long you've been a Christian, you might have a lot of Bibles. But it's to get to the place where you can do what you're supposed to do with your life. That's what we're talking about. That's what we want to talk about this morning. So how do you become a follower of Jesus and do what you're supposed to do with your life? The Bible helps us do that very thing. My very first experience with the Bible, when I was growing up, my mom raised me, and she also was taking care of her mother, my grandmother, until I was eight years old when she passed away. And one of my most special memories of my grandmother, there's not many, she came from Denmark, and uh, she was married to a German man, and we called her Besta. And Besta was, was amazing to me, just kind and gracious. But one day she called me into her bedroom, and I don't know why, because this wasn't typical. And she said, can I show you something? And I said, of course, Besta. And she pulled out her Bible, something very precious to her. And she opened it to a picture of Jesus that was in her Bible. And she pointed and said, that's God. And I'll never forget that special moment there in the bedroom as I saw that her Bible and her understanding that Jesus and his life and the way God manifested himself through a book had impacted her for, at that point, 70 plus years. And you just sense a sacredness of it in the life of someone that's gone through a very difficult journey, immigrating from a, a foreign country like Denmark, coming through Ellis Island, and having to make and establish a whole new life in a place like America. And yet she looked to her Bible to do that. My second experience with the Bible came one day with a, a knock on the door. And I was a little kid, kind of early elementary school age, I think, and there was a couple guys standing at our door. And they, we opened the door, and back then it was safe to do that. Um, not so much today. You never know who's coming to your door. But we had struck up a conversation with a couple guys who were part of a church in the local community, and they wanted to take me to church. We didn't go to church. It was just my mom and I at this point again. I think my grandma had passed away at that point. And they had a bus. 
And it was kind of a cool-looking bus. Think Partridge Family, for those of you that have seen that. Okay, cool bus. It would go down our alley behind our apartments, and they would invite all these kids from the community to get on this bus, and they would take us to this church, which was a, I don't remember the name, but I know it was a Bible church. And I got really excited because I realized they were going to teach me, and I was going to learn from this book that I'd never learned about before. And so every Sunday, the Bible bus, I like to call it, would come down our alley, and I'd jump on, and we would go to church, and I would learn about the Bible. And that was really early on, and I remember just feeling passionate that this is a different kind of book. This is different than the stuff I'm learning in school. It's different than the stuff I'm learning at home, because at home, while we would call ourselves Christian, we were kind of Christian because we weren't Jewish or Muslim or some other thing. We weren't really active, and so I was learning really fresh at this point in time. In junior high school, I came to know the Lord. I got saved, if you will. And I remember then, because I went to a Christian junior high school, and they started studying the Bible too. But they studied a different Bible. They had a Bible called the Living Bible. And I thought, this is cool, man. My, I think my Bible's dead. But they're gonna, we're going to study the Living Bible. And we memorized it every week. And that got me excited. And I remember going to a Christian bookstore and looking at the shelf. And there was other kinds of cool Bibles like the Open Bible. Wow, mine had been closed far too long. And this was the Open Bible. And there were study Bibles. And there was different translations. And there was a whole new word, world to wake up to and to understand. Maybe one of my funnest memories of the Bible is with my wife. My wife and I met at Magic Mountain. Any of you like roller coasters? Uh, we met at Magic, Six Flags Magic Mountain many, many years ago in front of the Swiss Twist, which now is just, uh, they tore it down. Nothing's there. Very special memory for us. <laughs> it's for like, all the bad backstory for another sermon. Um, but... Um, I met my wife, and uh, it kind of I didn't know anything about her because she was part of another group. Met her at Magic Mountain. Two weeks later, I worked at a Christian bookstore at a church, and she walked in to that bookstore, and I'm like, "Whoa, hi, hi, Darlene," and she said hi, and uh, I said, "Well, what are you here for? What can I help you with?" She said, "My friend told me to buy a Bible. What I didn't know is the night we met, that friend led her to the Lord. The night we met, she became a Christian." And he told her, you got to get a Bible. So she came to this bookstore, and I happened to be there in the bookstore. And I said, well, what kind of Bible should I get? And her friend told her, you got to get a Ryrie study Bible. Well, back in that day, Ryrie was like a theologian that everybody, everybody who really wanted to study the Bible wanted a Ryrie study Bible because it had as many notes on the bottom of the page as it has Bible, sometimes more notes. So you were going to really learn the Bible. So she said, I want a Ryrie study Bible. And I said, well, you know, uh, which kind? She said, I don't know. I said, well, uh, do you want a red letter edition or a black letter edition? She said, well, what's the difference? She didn't know anything. And I said, well, the black letter edition is just normal. And in the red letter edition, the words of Jesus are in red. And she said, what's the difference in price? And I said, the red letter edition is 80 cents more. And she said, all of the black letter edition. I'm like, I want to marry this girl. She's cute and frugal and uh, trying to learn the Bible. And sure enough, yeah, she, we did. Yeah, it's all good. More, more of that story for later. But um, anyway, a couple years ago, um, new version of the New International Version came out. Not that any of you care about that, but in 2011, and I decided I wanted to switch over and have the most contemporary version. You guys got the same ones in your paperback Bibles here, I think, NIV 2011. And so I bought a new Bible, and I'm like, wow. 
This was like a sacred moment. And I only have a couple of these over the years. I literally have one that I went through seminary with, and then I have one that I started pastoring with for many, many years. And so this is my most current one that is now like four years old. But it was fresh, you know. It kind of cracks when it opens, and you can smell it. And it kind of smells like Bible. And I'm just like, this is awesome. And there's no page wrinkled, and everything's good. And now the greatest joy over the last four years has been going through it once again and learning from it in a fresh new way. Because as you continue to, on your Christian journey, you're always going to experience the Bible in new and different ways. Does that make sense? I mean, one of the things um, that I think we need to understand is that we keep learning, we keep growing, okay? How many of you think you have the Bible all figured out? You've, you've got it pretty much down. Yeah, good. I hope you don't. Um, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. The more I study, the more questions I always come to, okay? How many of you feel like, and let's just be, show of hands here, and just be as honest as you can. How many of you feel like the Bible is still kind of a mystery, and there's a lot of stuff in there that you don't have figured out, and that you'd like to figure it out? Yeah, me too. And, and there's, now there's a spectrum of that mystery, right? Like how much you know and how much you don't know. But it, that's the beauty of this book. It's not like another book that you can kind of read and you, you got the theme, you got it down. This is a book that unfolds itself over many years, over a lifetime, and has so much to offer us. A couple years ago, church I was part of, I decided to do something neat. I was pastoring at this church at the time, and we decided to take everybody through the Bible in a year, which typically is something that people do. I don't always recommend that because I think it's like going through the Bible way too quick. Not a bad idea. It's kind of cool if you've never read the Bible before, but it goes through so quick you kind of lose something. But we decided to take the whole church through the Bible in a year, and we did. But we're like, people are never going to do it. So what can we do to help them? And we thought, let's put up a blog, and we'll blog on the passage each day and give some questions, and then people every single day can go to our blog, interact with it, and do that kind of thing. So we went around church staff, and everybody's like, who's going to blog on the Bible every day? I said, let's share it. And everybody else was like, I'll never do it. And the other person, I'll never do it. And then they all turned to me and was like, let's get Mikey. He'll do it. He's the responsible one. He'll always, and sure enough, so for that year, I blogged the entire Bible, every single passage. And um, wrote that out. And that was one of the most amazing experiences I'd ever had. Because it kind of forced me. The accountability was, if I don't do this, everybody else in our church isn't going to know what's going on in this Bible passage and how to follow it. So I had a great time blogging the Bible and going through it. And uh, that was one of the most transformational experiences that I had. But here's what I really want to share this morning. That over the lifetime of this 40 years of me journeying through the Bible and having various experiences with it and gaining only a deeper love for it, there was a way I used to view it and there's a way that I view it now. And that has changed over the years, okay? What I used to be taught and what I believed was that the Bible was one thing that probably after attending church... And maybe prayer was the other spiritual discipline that you were supposed to do. If you were going to be a Christian, you're supposed to read your Bible and study your Bible, okay? So after, you know, so you got church and you had Bible and maybe through in prayer if you figured you wanted to talk to God about some of those things. And that was it. And now I realize that's a real short-sighted way to view what the Bible is supposed to do in your life. And so all kinds of things have come into my life, especially over the last five, six years or so, that... I have learned some very different things. That if you just read or study the Bible, you will get a lot of, and this is kind of a key concept for this morning, you'll get a lot of information, okay? But you won't get a lot of transformation in your life. Does that make sense? 
So it's one thing to read the Bible, and a lot of times we just go out of guilt, and it's like, I should read my Bible. If I don't read my Bible every day or a few times a week, I'm a bad fill-in-the-blank, whatever. Um, and, but that's from an information standpoint. That's not motivating. Guilt is like, guilt's a motivator. You know, it's the gift that keeps on giving, but it's like the worst motivator around, guilt. So do not look at your Bible at all, ever as a way of guilt. If you've got a physical Bible sitting in your room somewhere and you look at that and like, oh, I should read that thing. You're, you're coming at it from the wrong place, okay? Let's try to get that out of our mind. We don't even want to approach the Bible as a book of information. We want to approach the Bible as a way of formation that forms us to the place of transformation, change. Does that make sense? So there's a couple words to hold on to. Let's get away from information and let's move into a place of formation and transformation where we understand that the narratives and the stories contained in the Bible are meant to change our lives. Do you believe that? They're meant to change our lives. I think you believe that because you're here on a Sunday morning and this is a church that goes through the Bible, so hopefully you believe those kinds of things. But if you approach them with the rigid interpretation or your own presuppositions or just try to make the Bible say what you want it to say or you're just kind of hanging on stuff that maybe someone told you the Bible says but you're not quite sure if that's really what it's about, there's going to be some struggle in the way you approach God's word, the Bible. So, in order to move from information to formation, I think it's helpful to have some methods of like contemplative Bible study, okay? And I just want to give you three this morning. So contemplative Bible study is a way to say, how do you go to the Bible that you're not there for information and study, but you contemplate things, you think about them, you meditate on them, you let them soak into your mind and into your life and into your heart and change who you are. Does that make sense? Difference, right? Information transformation. See the difference? So I want to give you three methods this morning that you guys can do. Hopefully you'll remember them as much as possible. They're all really simple, and I want to motivate you to be able to spend time with God's Word in some new and different ways. Now, all of these can be used either in individual time with God in the Bible or in a group, okay? So we kind of think about them in different ways because you can use them individually. You can also use them in a group. And they rely on, and this is a cool part, so catch this, the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we think that if we go to the Bible, we can figure it out based on the books, commentaries, history, research, other books we might use, tools and stuff like that. But honestly, you can never understand the Bible at the deepest level unless you allow the Holy Spirit to come into your life and illuminate, shine a light on it. So they rely on the Holy Spirit's illumination more than they do on your ability to study. Now, I'm thankful for that because my mind's pretty limited, and in a human sense, I only have so much that I can bring to it. That's really important. It's also important to be able to say that we're not talking about deep Bible study exegesis, okay, kind of words like that. You hear words like exegesis and exposition where we're explaining what the text says. Those are good. What we're doing, though, is a more devotional means to go to the Bible. It's a more practical, devotional means that relies on the Holy Spirit and allows us to see it through our heart more than our head, okay? That's what I want to share because it's practical and so helpful for us, okay? Dependent on the Holy Spirit. So let's look at these three, okay? The first one I just like to call formational reading. We're talking about we're moving from information to formation. I call it the formational reading of Scripture, okay? And it's why I passed out that passage in Psalm 1. So let me share with you a little bit about it. If I go to the Bible for formation, 
rather than information. I don't want to be distracted by things that are going to make me think information. That's why I passed it out on a piece of paper because some of you have Bibles and they've got notes. They've got references. They've got chapter numbers. They've got verse numbers. And all those things were added many years later. Those weren't part of inspired scripture, okay? So those can be distracting. So one of the things I do is I like to put a passage on a piece of scripture like that, pull out all the chapter and verse things. Now, I told you it's Psalm 1, but I pulled out all the verses from that piece of paper if you're looking at that, and then try not to be distracted by any notes. So if you've written in your Bible, if you're using your Bible to do this, just do your best to not be distracted, okay? And you go before God, you just pray, and you just say, God, help me to understand your word in a way that I've never seen it before. Illuminate to me the things that the Holy Spirit wants me to see and to be able to sense and look for key words and phrases and such like that, patterns, uh, or things that just kind of intersect with your life. So it's the most simple. We're going to go from simple to a little more complicated with these three, okay? So this is what I want you to do. Take that passage of scripture, Psalm 1, that's sitting there, and hopefully you have a pen, or there's one on a seat around you because there's some pens and stuff around. And if you like to write in your Bible, feel free to do this in your Bible. You can. But there's a couple other reasons I do this too. One, if you're doing it with a group, everybody has the same translation this way because that's kind of challenging sometimes and people don't have the same translation. So really practically, it's nice when we all see the same words in the same way. So let's just take a couple minutes and read it through. I'm gonna stop talking and I'm gonna give you a chance to actually see what God has to say to you. So rather than a preacher up front telling you what the Bible says, we're gonna pray and feel free to say a little prayer yourself right where you are and say, God, what do you want me to see from Psalm 1, okay? And I'm going to ask you in a second and just get a little bit of feedback from some of you that are willing to share, uh, what stood out to you? So kind of try to put all your other thoughts aside, take a couple minutes in silence here, look at that passage and see what God says to you. Now normally, especially we do this in a group, I'd give about 10, maybe even 15 minutes to spend time in a passage like that. It's hard to do it in a short period of time. And it's hard to do it when you're not used to doing something sitting in, you know, like a church service and looking up front. It's even harder to do it like that. So thanks for giving that a try. Um, I'd encourage you to go try that outside of this time where you can spend 15 minutes, maybe even 20 minutes, and do it alone. Or try with a group of people as you study with a group of people. Take the same passage, give about 15 minutes, deeply look at it, and then come together and share out of your learnings. And it's such an awesome experience to see how the Holy Spirit illuminates and shines a light on certain things. What were some of the things that stood out for you? Just curious. What are some of the words or phrases or things like that that might have stood out for you that you saw that just sort of rose up? Anybody willing to share that? Yeah, way in the back. Yeah. Yeah. Delight and fruit. Okay. Others? That's so good. Following the way of the Lord, the law of the Lord is not a burden. It's a delight. It's a joy. Okay? Others? It's a... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pretty clear, huh? Gives you some cautions. Don't do this, right? 
Blessed are those that don't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. But they delight in, did you catch what they delight in? The law of the Lord. You know what that is? For us, where do we have the law of the Lord? Okay, we have it in our Bibles. Okay, now Psalm, obviously Hebrew scriptures, we're a little bit different there, but it's the same concept that God's given us his law. He's given us his ways would be a better way maybe to say that. And as he's given us his ways, we delight in those. And as we delight in those, such a good thing. Good things come out of it, right? And you've got to get yourself to the place where your mind is really busy and stuff, and you kind of set those thoughts aside, and you let that soak in. And I know that's tough, like I said, in a church service here. People aren't used to talking back in church. You're not supposed to do that when a pastor's standing up front. So maybe when other people are preaching, when Boog's preaching and stuff, you just need to start talking. Raise your hands. Talk a little bit. Do that, right? One of the best ways, if we could spend a whole half hour this morning and just dive into this passage, I you would learn more that way than you would listening to someone talk about that passage. So that's the goal of formational Bible reading. Dive in, immerse yourself, do it in a way where you interact with it, have fun with it, and if you get a chance to do that in a group where you can discuss it with others, awesome. That's formational reading of Scripture. It's simple. And you can do it with your Bible too. Open it up, give yourself time to the passage, let it soak in. Here's a second way. Here's a second way. Some of you might be familiar with this. Lexio Divina. Any of you familiar with Lexio Divina have done that or so? A few of you, a few hands go up. Lexio, L-E-C-T-I-O, it's a Latin word, divina, just means the divine or holy reading of scripture. That's what it means, divine reading. Uh, going to it, to it in a way that you realize this is God's word for me and he's going to have something to say, okay? It's a practice that combines scripture reading and meditation and prayer. It was a monastic practice that was first established in the 6th century with really with Benedictine monks, Kind of a cool history behind it all. But then a Cartesian monk, Guigo II, made it into a process in the 12th century. And it doesn't treat scripture as text to be studied, but as the living word. And Lexio Divina really has four steps, okay? Um, it has reading, it has meditation, it has prayer, and it has contemplation. And those that do it and look back into the history, Lexio just means reading. And then there's meditation, which is meditatio in Latin. And then there's prayer, which is oratio. And then there's contemplation, which is contemplatio. So you'll see those words sometimes in a description of Lexio Divina. And it's really just those four steps where you read it, you meditate on it, you pray about it, even though the whole process is prayer. And then you get a chance to contemplate it as you go from there. Let's do that kind of quickly and look at another passage. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Turn your Bible to Hebrew chapter 4. This time you really do have to look at your Bible. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Now, a good way to do this in a group is where you might just listen. And if you're a more auditory learner where you learn by listening, feel free to not look at your Bible and just close your eyes. You might learn better that way. But if you're doing it on your own individually again, you'll be reading it and using your sight to, in order to understand it. Okay? And in Lexio, it's similar to what we just did in formational reading, but a little bit different. Because here, you're literally asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what word rings out. 
Is there a word that rings out or kind of like buzzes for you or pops for you or pops off the page? Or as you're reading, you just stop and you can't go beyond that, a word or a phrase that you just get stuck. And you're like, whoa, there's something about that that God's trying to teach me. I better stay and hang out there a while, right? So you're not trying to study it and figure it out with your mind. You're trying to say, God, with my heart, help me to be open to what it is that you're trying to say from this passage, okay? So let me just read it really slowly. And normally you'd read it through two times, three times, four times, okay? Not just one time. And read it through slowly and see what pops for you or where you stop. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so you read it through once or twice, seeing what pops off the page for you, okay? Or what you hear. A second time or a third time as you read it through, and in a group, it's good to have different voices share that as well, male and female, young and old, etc., to be able to hear it a little bit differently. Then you meditate, right, a meditatio, and you listen for what is it that God's trying to say about that? Why would God want that word or phrase to pop out for you? So you go a step deeper asking the why question. So this time, if I read it through, hopefully you had a word or phrase pop out the first time. If you did, then now listen for why God might have said that to you. Let me read it one more time. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You sensing some things there? Again, this is harder to do in a large group like this than it is if you're alone or in a small group of people. But you ask, what pops? What makes me stop? Then it's like, God, why would that happen? Why? I need to meditate on that. I need to think on that. And I'm not giving you enough time to do that. But then you move to prayer or ratio. And then it's kind of that question, so what do you want me to do about it? If this is why this is, you're giving me this, what do you want me to do about it? That's the third way. And let me read it one more time. And this time it's to ask, God, if there was a word or phrase... I think I know why, maybe, but now what do you want me to do about it? Where do I go from here? How do I apply it? One more time. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. 
everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, if you're doing this alone, you might have a journal where you write down some of those thoughts and journal some of what you've learned. That's a really good practice to have a little kind of scripture journal that you journal some thoughts. If you're with a group of people, you might share it with them. For me, as we just went this, through this right now, it was verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. And I think the why for me, God's been trying to teach me literally right now in my life that no matter how much I mess up, screw up, fail, his grace is bigger than that. So nothing's hidden from his sight. He sees everything going on in my life. But it's not there to punish me, judge me, hold it against me. He's there to give grace to me and pull me closer to him. And I think that's the why. I need to live in that reality that nothing's hidden from his sight, right? So literally, even as I read that to you, I could pull that right from Scripture and go, God, I want to live in your grace today. I need to live in your grace as I go out and see your creation all around me. That makes sense? See how practical that is? It's not studying the Bible and realizing you've got to figure it all out. That's another thing, Bible study and exegesis and all kinds of other good things, like I said. But this is so, it's just you and God. Hanging out in scripture together. That's Lexio Divina. So formation of reading of scripture, Lexio Divina, and here's a third one. Ignatian contemplation. Ignatian contemplation. Now that sounds complicated, but Ignatius of Loyola was a 16th century Spanish monk, and he spent a ton of time in the Bible. And one of the things Ignatius believed is that it's so important to use your imagination you don't just use your mind or your, your mental capacities, but you use your imagination. So those of you that are a little more right brain creative types, you'll love this, okay, this third type, because you get to take all five of your senses, okay, your sight, your smell, even your taste, your touch, your hearing, everything into this, and dive into the passage, okay? It's really, really a cool way to do it. Um, Ignatius wrote a book called The Spiritual Exercises that's full of scripture and it's meant to be used in a month-long retreat. And on that month-long retreat, you spend five hours a day in scripture like this. It's scripture and prayer together is what it is. It's you using scripture to talk to God. It's a really fun kind of retreat to take. I did an eight-day spiritual retreat that did it this way, and it changed my life, okay? And this works especially well in the Gospels, okay? We've looked now at a passage from Psalms, Old Testament, talked about the law of the Lord. We looked at Hebrews, one of the epistles or letters, talked about God's word. Now Ignatian reading, where you use your imagination, works really well in the stories about Jesus, throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels, okay? So here's the challenge. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, verses 45 to 48. And this is the last passage we'll look at here. Luke 19, the last section of that chapter, verses 45 to 48. And we're going through this stuff really quick. So if you guys got questions that are more specific, I'm going to hang around here afterwards. Feel free to come up, ask me questions, and I'd love to talk with you more about any of this stuff, okay? So I'm going to read this passage, but it's a little different now than the other two that we did. And here's how it's different. I want you to visualize the event as if you were making a movie, okay? Pay attention to the details, the sights, the sounds, the tastes, the smells, the feeling, okay? Lose yourself in the story, 
Don't worry if your imagination kind of runs wild in it, because that's good. You want your imagination to be working here, okay? At some point, place yourself in the scene of where it's happening. Now, the tricky part is to figure out how you place yourself in the scene. You might just be a fly on the wall watching it happen. You might be one of the characters in the scene. You might even be Jesus. You might be an inanimate object that's part of the scene. Don't force what you're going to be. Don't decide, oh, I want to be that. Try to read through it and let the Holy Spirit show you what you're going to be in the midst of it, okay? And that's how this kind of reading takes place, okay? So Luke 19, starting at verse 45. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be made a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. So there's the text. Do you identify with one of them? Something in the text? Did you put yourself in there? Use your imagination. Let me read it through one more time. We could do this a little longer, but we're running out of time here. I'm going to read it through one more time. And maybe this time close your eyes. If you're a little bit more, a little less visual, you can close your eyes, put yourself in the story, let your imagination work, and let me embellish it just a little bit. Okay? When Jesus entered the temple courts, picture the temple, the busiest place in Jerusalem. It's where everybody went and offered sacrifices. They went to hear the rabbis. They were separated by social class, men and women. The more spiritual you were, the closer you got to be to the holy of holies because that's where God lived. That's where Jesus is. He enters the temple courts. He began to drive out those who were selling. There was people that had turned it into a mini mall. It's a market. They're selling. They're making money. You can hear the change. Listen for the sound of the change, the rattling, the noise. Probably the, no- the sound of animals in the background being sold, animals being sold for sacrifices. What do you smell if there's a bunch of animals around? You sense people bumping into you. It's probably very crowded. There's children screaming, laughing, playing, crying, all kinds of busyness and hurry going on. Jesus senses this, but he begins to drive out those who were selling these things. It's kind of normal to see them every single day, but Jesus kicks them out. And then he says, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer. He's quoting scripture. You'd know it. He's quoting the Old Testament, the Tanakh. They would know those words. They were familiar with what that was, and Jesus is using them against them. But you have made it a den of robbers. He's accusing those that are misusing God's house. What do you sense in the atmosphere? The tension between what Jesus says and those that are selling. What are the religious leaders doing as they watch? What are people doing as they pass by? And then it gives a little more context. Every day Jesus was teaching at the temple. He was there all the time. They knew who he was. He was a rabbi. He was one of the Jewish rabbis with a very different message. But the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Why didn't they like him? He was a Jewish rabbi. He was teaching goodness of God's things. Why didn't they like what he said? Can you identify with those religious leaders? Sometimes we find ourselves in a place of judgment. We might be more like a Pharisee 
than we would be a disciple of Jesus. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. People gathered around it. They were attracted to what Jesus said, but why? It was such a different message. Put yourself in the story. What character do you relate to? Why do you think you relate to that character? What might God want to teach you from a passage like this that we don't have a temple today, we can't relate to it. It's nothing like our church services or our church buildings or anything like that. So why might God want you to get something from this? Use your imagination. So spend as much time, again, we did that so, so quickly, but if you could give yourself 10, 15 minutes, a half hour, and then journal some of those thoughts, that's what Ignatian contemplation or meditation is like. Some people get a little weird, they're like, this whole talk about meditation, contemplation, it sounds a little new agey to me, okay, a little Eastern stuff, but here's the difference. In Eastern, med- in Eastern meditation and in Eastern religions, you empty your mind in order to empty your mind and be empty. In Christian meditation, you empty your mind in order to fill it. Okay, John Eshelman gave a message a number of months ago on meditation here, and if go back and listen to the podcast if you want to hear more about meditation. But you empty it in order to fill it. When you use your imagination, can you sense it being filled with Scripture in a kind of new way, a different way than ever before? Practice it. It's so fun to be able to go. So some practical ways to be able to look at God's Word, hopefully some new and fresh ways. So question, are you reading the Bible for information or for your formation? Check it out. See what you're doing, okay? Are you more concerned about your methods or your motives? Because the heart and the reason you come to the Bible is so important and it really means everything. And when you read the Bible, here's some other questions to think about. Do you seek to cover as much as possible as quickly as possible or do you read small portions and let it soak in? Contemplative Bible practices like this, let it soak in. They take small sections, as I said earlier. You're not trying to rush through. Maybe you only get through one verse, a couple verses. That doesn't matter, okay? Are you reading it in a linear fashion or with potentially multiple layers of meaning? Don't just think there's just like one thing and once I understand that, it's good enough. But if you understand the Holy Spirit's going to apply that to your life differently, I would bet here that there was 50 different understandings of that passage of Scripture we just read about the way God wants to apply it to your life. Now, that's not only fun for you as you learn it, but when you share that in a group, oh my gosh, it like lights up and you get to learn, wow, what God taught to someone else is completely different than what he's teaching me. And you can have so much fun with Scripture that way. Do you seek to master the text alone? And this is an important one. I was taught in my background, you study that, you study it over and over and over. I would study 30 hours for every sermon I would give to master the text. And now I've learned that's not really healthy. I want to enter God's word until it masters me. See the difference? It's not about you controlling it and trying to master the text. You go to it with a humble spirit, teachable heart, and say, God, let that passage master me. Do you view the text as an object for you to control or realize that the text is the subject and you are the object that is being shaped by the text of Scripture? Do you read in an analytical, critical, or judgmental way or with a humble, detached, willing, loving approach? Feel the difference? One last question. Do you come to it with a problem-solving mentality? Like, I got a problem and the Bible's got to fix it for me. Or are you just open to the mystery that's contained in God's word. And that's kind of where I want to leave you. The Bible is full of mystery. Now that doesn't 
just to study and learn from it and, and try to figure some stuff out. We are, and that's one of the fun challenges we're given. Yet at the same time, if you get it all figured out, there's no mystery anymore. You've lost something. So let it maintain the mystery that it is and that's there. So here's your assignment this week, little assignment, homework assignment. Choose at least one of those formational methods to spend time in this week. Create formational reading of scripture, like the first passage I passed out, Lexio Divina, where you let a word ring out or a phrase, okay, and ask those questions about reading it, meditating on it, praying it, contemplating it, or Ignatian, use your imagination, okay? Go to it, let your imagination, use your five senses, see where you end up in the story. Use one of those this week, practice it, and see if it doesn't bring the Bible alive in a brand new way, okay? Let's pray. Father, thanks for a chance to look at your Bible in just unique, uh, for some maybe strange ways, really different, not the kind of things we typically talk about on a Sunday morning, but where we can learn from the practice of wise people from hundreds and even thousands of years who have practiced some of these things that somehow gets lost. Help us to learn those things that would be most helpful to us and really enjoy doing it. And Whatever practical things we might need to do, maybe we go out and buy a journal today, or maybe we need to get a literal Bible and not just use our digital version. Whatever it is and how you're challenging us, help us to do that in a way that speaks to our lives deeply. In Jesus' name, amen.